0: everybody. I'm Gary Ebersole.
1: Richard Kipling here.
0: And I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys.
2: The baby boomer generation lost one of its most popular and endearing members this week. Jimmy Buffett passed away at his home in Sag Harbor, New York, at the age of 76. According to his website, he was surrounded by his family, friends, music, and dogs. He lived his life like a song till the very last breath and will be missed beyond measure by so many. That's why for the first time, the Camp Codger podcast is devoting an entire episode to a Codger we have known and loved since the 1970s. But before we talk about the life and music of James William Buffett, I think Mm -hmm. Gary has a Codger moment that he'd like to share with
0: us. Gary? My Codger moment was a very thought-provoking experience. I was on a regular hike up Sun Mountain near where I live, and I was moving along at my usual pace thinking about an interesting article I'd read that morning about research on internalized ageism. The basic evidence seems to show That if you think you're old and act as if you're old, there is a strong correlation between those thoughts and actions and a reduced lifespan by as much as seven and a half years. This is a fascinating topic, and we're going to be exploring this in more depth in a future episode. Anyway, back to my cadre moment. I had reached the top after climbing about 700 feet of elevation gain. It's steep in places. As I was coming back down, my feet slipped out from under me, and I landed hard on my tush really hard. And it really hurt. (laughs) Once I determined that I wasn't injured, my mind switched back to the article I was thinking about at the moment I slipped, believe it or not. How do I respond? Do I slowly finish the mile and a half down the mountain back to my car as a frail, old 74-year-old man who had just taken a painful fall? Or do I continue at my usual pace, assuming all is wealth, reminding myself that it could have happened to anybody and wasn't related to my age? I chose the latter path, but there were moments in several steep places when I struggled not to act frail. I made it back down safely and repeated the hike a few days later. I'm not old.
1: <laughs> and we're glad you're here.
0: Thank you. So am I. Thanks, Gary. I'm glad
2: you're safe in one piece. Our show today is a tribute to Jimmy Buffett, Mr. Margaritaville. Jimmy was born on Christmas Day in 1946 at the beginning of the baby boomer generation, and he died on September 1st, 2023. In the New York Times obituary published the day after he died, he was described as the, quote, roguish bard of island escapism, end quote. And that is such a great New York Times way <laughs> to describe him. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. happen to love that. I think we could find simpler ways to say it. Yeah, but it wouldn't be as cool. It <laughs> wouldn't be serious and cool at the same time. Jimmy wrote a song called Margaritaville, which was by far the, the most famous song he ever wrote and recorded. It's a tequila-infused musing about a summer spent in a beach town filled with tourists, presumably in Key West, Florida, where he lived in the 1970s. An entire generation of boomers have sung along to the chorus. And guys, you might even know this. Wasting away again in Margaritaville, searching for my lost shaker of salt. Some people claim that there's a woman to blame, but I know it's nobody's fault. Everyone knows that Jimmy Buffett was a singer, songwriter, and entertainer, but he was also a sailor, pilot, best-selling author, entrepreneur, astute businessman, and a generous supporter of many charitable causes. He was a latter-day folk hero who celebrated a kicked-back lifestyle of hanging out at the beach. But in his older years, he admitted to being a bit of a workaholic, and he died a very, very rich man. I had the pleasure of meeting Jimmy Buffett backstage after seeing him perform to a small audience, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But first, Gary, what is your first memory
0: of Jimmy Buffett? When did he hit your radar? I think it was in 1977 when Margaritaville made the charts. And it didn't turn me into a parrot head, but it was a happy song. It made you smile. And you look forward to hearing it again. It was kind of catchy. So it was kind of a bouncy, happy, I'd like to be at that place type of song. The kind you listen to without having to think of any heavy thoughts. So that was my first introduction to Jimmy Buffett. As it was for, you know, millions of people, let's face it. Yeah. That was his breakthrough
2: song. It was the epitome of a summer song. It was light in subject matter. It was fun. It was uh, easy to sing along with. Just like the perfect summer song at the perfect time. That was his biggest hit ever. It hit number eight on the charts. He never had another song that, that was that popular but somehow he managed to become an icon. And that's some of what we're gonna talk about right now. Richard, were you ever a Jimmy Buffett fan?
1: Well, in 1977, I was in the middle of my arrogant intellectual phase. (laughs) So no, I missed the boat on Jimmy. Uh, I can't remember. Wait a minute, what I wait a minute, wait a minute,
2: wait, wait, wait. When did this phase end, Richard? Because I'm not so <laughs> sure. It's tailing off now.
1: <laughs> yeah, in any case, I was trying to remember what I was listening to in 1977, and I think it was probably, you know, Fleetwood Mac, Crosby Stills and Ash, but Margaritaville wasn't on my radar.
2: Interesting. Interesting. All right. So guys. I've alluded to this already, and I'm going to tell you the story of me actually meeting Jimmy Buffett in 1975. And this, by the way, was before he was Mm. Jimmy Buffett, at least as far as anybody knew. I was a journalism student at San Diego State. My job for the school paper was to review concerts at the little club that was on campus. The club was called The Back Door, and it held uh, somewhere between 200 and maybe 250 people packed, right? Uh, Jimmy Buffett had had a minor hit called Come Monday that hit number 30 on the Billboard charts. It wasn't a huge hit, but that's the song, in addition to Margaritaville, of course, but in interviews, Jimmy said that song changed his life. That's the song that kept him going. So I I see Jimmy Buffett in concert at this little club, and I get a chance to meet him backstage. He was just a guy. You know, he wasn't famous yet. He was just this long-haired, mustachioed hippie (laughs) dude, and he was perfect for a college audience, which is why he had been invited to play there. Hmm. I liked the guy. Now, it's not like we became friends or anything, and I never, you know, went to his house for dinner, but Hmm. I felt like I knew him, and I felt like his stage persona was him. He never took himself too seriously. And in fact, one of his pet peeves was entertainers who got all big and stuffy and just couldn't relate to the common person anymore. He wanted to be a real guy. And bless his heart, he was for his his entire life. I went back in in my personal archives. I found the review I wrote... (laughs) For the Daily Aztec that came out Friday, (laughs) September 5th, 1975. So I was 20 years old. Some of the writing is kind of funny, but I I love my first meeting, my first exposure to Jimmy Buffett as a person. Uh, So I'm going to quote from myself, (laughs) which is (laughs) always fun. I wrote, Buffett has a loose, easygoing style that makes it look like he was born just to play on the stage. He wastes no time establishing a friendly rapport with the crowd, telling down-home stories and sharp one-liners, including, quote, You might as well enjoy life. God grades on a curve. I love that line. <laughs> and if his stories don't make you laugh, his songs certainly will. His lyrics, like a poetic picnic, sip and sample from the basic aspects of living. In Pencil's thin mustache, he looks back half seriously at old movies and the nostalgia craze in a humorous attempt to regain lost innocence and tradition. Other gems like, please take your 15-year-old girlfriend home and let's get drunk need no explanation. (laughs) (laughs) So even then, he was becoming Jimmy Buffett, which I love.
1: I love it that you met him and interacted with him and reviewed him before he was the big time Jimmy Buffett.
0: Yeah, yeah. And pretty good writing for a (laughs) 20-year-old. I know, I
1: I kind
2: of of impressed myself, if you want to know (laughs) the truth. (laughs) That was fun. Here's another question for you guys. Why do you think Jimmy Buffett became so famous? What made him a cultural icon?
0: He was just a singer-songwriter. Well, I got to tell you, I think Jimmy made playing the role of a beach bum okay. It used to be a pejorative. Growing up, you were told, you don't want to be a beach bum. You've got to get a job, be serious, work hard. Well, Jimmy Buffett said it's okay to be a beach bum. T-shirts, shorts, flip-flops, go back to work on Monday, but on the weekend you were at the beach. It resonated with a lot of people. It gave them a chance to enjoy life, at least on the weekends. What do you think,
1: Richard? Does that pretty well describe it? Yeah, I think uh, Gary hit it on the head. I mean, for people living in cold or uncenic places in this country, Buffett was just a natural. That escape to the beach and lolling around in a T-shirt and shorts and flip-flops like Gary said, at a poolside bar with a drink. I mean, is there any better fantasy for these folks? I remember as a teenager in Topeka, Kansas, I somehow got fixated on Miami Beach. I can see how people could get taken by the picture of Jimmy Paints in his songs. In 1977, when Margarita Bill came out, I was living in swanky Santa Barbara, a beach town with hoity-toity pretensions. Folks there didn't need Jimmy Buffett to fantasize about a beach life. They were living it.
2: Do you remember hearing Margaritaville when it came out that summer of 77?
1: I don't know if I heard it or not. It wasn't the thing in Santa Barbara. That's all I can... But it was on pop radio, right?
0: Oh, you yeah. were the intellectual. He you was were the intellectual
2: lis- not listening to pop, pop radio. Pop radio?
1: Oh, you were listening to the classical station. <laughs> yes, of course.
0: Oh, yeah. Well,
2: Jimmy was on my radar since 1975, so I right. can't answer the question that I just asked you two in, in the same way. Yeah, Of course he was on my radar. I bought the album. There were a couple of other good songs on that album. I was delighted when he made it. I thought, good for you, Jimmy, my old friend, my old pal. Yeah,
1: you had a connection, <laughs> yeah. a personal connection. He
2: definitely tapped. A gold vein in America by making it okay to be a beach bum and just enjoy yourself. I'll give him credit for that. Now, that wasn't 100% his personality, but when that song came out, he was kind of living that life. So, Gary, there's no question that Jimmy Buffett's songs resonated with the boomer generation, but why? Why him? Why wasn't it somebody else?
0: Well, I think it was Partly because the boomers, after ending the war in Vietnam and doing all those wonderful things, turned into a pretty serious bunch. We went to work. We had to get up in the morning and put on the suits and ties and go head off to work. And what Jimmy delivered was relaxed, easy listening music. Nothing heavy. No deep meanings. Oh, come on. Cheeseburger in paradise. Why don't we get drunk and screw? <laughs> right? This was pure feel-good music. And you were on a perpetual vacation when you were listening to it. I think it was a great retreat from a workaday life. And Jimmy also happened to be the master of the earworm. Guess what? It's been running through my head this weekend, right? Margaritaville.
2: And for me, I went way back The first time I ever heard Jimmy Buffett on the radio, literally his first time on the radio, that little song called Come Monday, which is really sweet. And it's a great little singer-songwriter tune. And that's the one I've asked Alexa to play a couple of times in the last couple of days, just because that's where it all began, at least for me. All right. I'm going to ask Richard a serious question. He's the journalist, of the group. I'm sure he's done the research on this. <laughs> Richard, most people probably don't know how good a businessman Jimmy Buffett was and how rich he became. I'll bet you you can enlighten us. Tell us about Jimmy B the businessman.
1: Yeah, I think until the obit came out that no one probably associated business and money with Jimmy Buffett. So who knew that he was a tycoon in fact? Forbes Magazine, just this year, added Buffett to its billionaire group. He joined LeBron James, among others, as members of that exclusive club, and Forbes dubbed him the Beach Bum Billionaire. (laughs) (laughs) So how did he get there? He started by forming a company that got a slice of the tickets revenue and merchandise revenue, and he grew that into a holding company that included destination resorts and restaurants, One of the things on the menu of his restaurants is, Gary, cheeseburgers in paradise. (laughs) One of the best-selling drinks is who to blame, margaritas. (laughs) Um, He really was a tycoon. His company had 30 vacation resorts in at least three countries and sold $200 million worth of booze-related products, and that included tequila and beer and margarita mix. He also sported 150 Margaritaville-themed restaurants. We all love this one. He even sold pickleball sets.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, Jimmy, no. (laughs) He's a
2: businessman. Of course he did. But I
1: didn't know that. That's really great. And by the way, he also held shares in Berkshire Hathaway the huge investment house run by the world's fifth richest man by a similar name, Warren Buffett, who is no relation. But the Buffets were friends. Warren Buffett told Forbes late last year, I wish there were more Jimmy Buffets, but there aren't. Tell Jimmy to keep me in his will. <laughs> I guess we'll find out if he did.
2: Oh, that's funny. What an interesting guy Jimmy Buffett turned out to be. You know, everybody knows the songs. Not everybody knows he was also an author. Mm -hmm. Did you guys know that he wrote best-selling books? I've got a couple of uh, little-known facts about Jimmy. I'm gonna share one right now. It's about his writing career. He is one of six writers, only six ever in history, who wrote a number one New York Times best-selling book on both the fiction and the nonfiction lists. Hmm. Jimmy was joined on that list by Ernest Hemingway and John Steinbeck. So he's in very good, very rare company. I have had a cheeseburger in paradise myself (laughs) at Margaritaville restaurant. I've been to Margaritaville restaurants in more than one place. One of them's in Las Vegas, which is packed all the time with tourists. Jimmy, you did well, business-wise. You did well. All right, I'm going to do another little-known fact. You guys ready for this okay. one? Okay. You just alluded to Parrot Heads. Do you know who came up with the name Parrot Head to describe his concert audience of rabid, loyal fans? Jimmy's fans are called Parrot Heads. Because Timothy B. Schmidt, who is best known as the bass player for the Eagles, was part of the Coral reefer band, Jimmy's backup band, in the 80s, in that period of time when the the Eagles had disbanded before they reformed. Timothy B. Schmidt bass player for Jimmy Buffett looked at these crazies, all dressed up in these flamboyant costumes and some of them literally wearing stuffed parrot <laughs> on their shoulders and all. They came for tailgating before the concert and it turned it into a giant event. Timothy B. Schmidt looked at these guys and said, well, these guys are parrot heads <laughs> and the name stuck. And it's like everybody now who's a parrot head is a proud parrot head because they got a name and they've got an identity. But what a great little tidbit. Yeah. Um, Well, let's close with a big question. What does Jimmy Buffett's popularity tell us about America? Why did this guy become so popular given the fact that he's presumably a beach bum singer-songwriter
0: telling us all to have a good time? Why do you think, Gary? I think it gives us a chance to escape. It gives us a chance to move into fantasy land. And we all like a little fantasy in our lives. We like to be able to believe we're in another world. And whatever singer you're listening to, whatever other rock star, whatever movie star, you want a bit of their life,
1: a bit of their glamour. But I think in Jimmy Buffett's case, he presents a kind of vision. That single song presents a vision of relaxation. And who doesn't, given the nature of our world, want to have a moment to relax? And you think about that song and you think about Jimmy Buffett and your vision is somebody, as Gary said earlier, shorts, t-shirt, flip-flop, a drink in his hand.
2: What about you, Randy? I think America loves to look up to celebrities because they represent something that we don't typically get to experience, like a bigger life, a more famous life, a richer life. And in Jimmy's case, It was all of that, plus the fact that he seemed to have done it by not working. I mean, (laughs) the first 20 years of his career, nobody knew that the guy was really smart and was behind the scenes making business deals and whatnot, especially when his concerts started to take off as events like the Grateful Dead Deadhead. Concerts that you didn't go just for the concert, you went for the experience. You went Mm -hmm. because you were with you know like-minded folks. When that happened, Jimmy said to himself, "There's money to be made here." (laughs) You know, it goes beyond albums and CDs and songs. He did a remarkable job, as we say nowadays, monetizing his fame and his persona. I think he's the epitome of the American hero and the American success story because he did all of that. And most celebrities can't look like they're having that much fun. There's some work involved. He made it all smoke and mirrors and music and did the work kind of off stage. And dang, if he didn't do it so well, he became a billionaire. And it's like, wow, good for you, Jimmy. You showed us how it was done. Now we can maybe aspire to a portion of that.
0: Well, he's just one of us. He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. So here's just an ordinary guy singing in clubs in San Diego that turns out to be a billionaire and an icon. It's a
2: great American story.
0: It is. And I can tell
2: you guys that as the biggest Jimmy Buffett fan here at Camp Codger, I've been saddened this week by his death in a way that I had not expected. It wasn't like he was my personal friend. But because of his music, his presence in my life since 1975, that's 45 years. No, let me do the math. Codger moment, folks. That's 48 years. Most of my life, I've known Jimmy Buffett in some way. (laughs) I got to see him in a tiny club in San Diego before anybody knew who he was. And I saw him perform for 40,000 Parrot Heads at his last stadium concert on May 6, 2023 in San Diego. I saw him first in San Diego. I saw his last show in San Diego. For me and for millions of, of his fans, Jimmy Buffett will live on in his music. Thanks for the great memories, Jimmy. We will miss you. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Camp Codger. We'll see you again next week here at camp.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Camp Codger in your favorite podcast app or sign up on our website. As always, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at campcodger at gmail.com, post a comment at www.campcodger.com or leave a voicemail at 505-216-6171.